Our word uh, for today comes out of Acts chapter 11, 1 through 18. Um, and the title of the sermon today is called Unencumbered, Unencumbered. Uh, Acts 11, 1 through 18, this is from the Common English Bible. The apostles and the brothers and sisters throughout Judea heard that even the Gentiles had welcomed God's word. When Peter went up to Jerusalem, the uncircumcised believers criticized him. They accused him. You went into the home of the uncircumcised and ate with them. Step by step, Peter explained what had happened. I was in the city of Joppa praying when I had a visionary experience. In my vision, I saw something like a large linen sheet being lowered from heaven by its four corners. It came all the way down to me. As I stared at it, wondering what it was, I saw four-legged animals, including wild beasts, as well as reptiles and wild birds. I heard a voice say, get up, Peter, kill and eat. I responded, absolutely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice from heaven spoke in a second time, never consider unclean what God has made pure. This has happened three times, and everything was pulled back into heaven. At that moment, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were staying. The Spirit told me to go with them, even though they were, with, were Gentiles. These six brothers here uh, were also with me, and we entered the man, that man's house. He reported to us how he had seen an angel standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa and summon Simon, who is known as Peter. He will tell you how you and your entire household can be saved. When I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as the Spirit fell on us in the beginning. I remember the Lord's words, John will baptize with water, but you will be baptized uh, with the Holy Spirit. If God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, then who am I? Could I stand in God's way? Once the apostles and other believers heard this, they calmed down. They praised God and concluded, So then God has enabled Gentiles to change their hearts and lives so they might have new life. Amen. I need a, I need a, a, a volunteer, a volunteer with, uh, who's a good sport. <laughs> All right. Okay. A volunteer as tribute. Yes. Okay. What's the sign? So here's, a, here's, a, here's the game that we're going to play with our volunteer, Sarah. Thank you for volunteering. Uh, she's going to stand here, stand there, over there, like a coat rack. And uh, all, what we're going to do is hang as many items as we can possible on her uh, within, within 30, uh, 40 seconds, let's say. Um, so you just bring your coats or your Bibles or whatever you think you can hang on her. And then later we will count. Uh, oh, it's not turning it. We will count uh, how many things that we were able to do. So I'm going to start the timer here. Stopwatch, no, no, timer. Let's set it for not minutes, or seconds. We could do a minute, okay. <laughs> so, on your mark, get set, go. So, now, oh, no. So, what I want you to do now. Now, thank you for being a good sport, and it looks like we got a ton of stuff. Wow. 
What I want you to do now is turn around. I've got this pitcher of water right here. And without dropping anything, pour yourself a cup of water. And take a drink. Maybe on, on the projector is not. So Sarah, what was your experience, or what did you feel as people were loading things on you? Well, definitely easier when it's closer to the center. Right. So the things on the outside were heavier. Okay, because you had to extend up. Yeah. And then when I asked you for a drink of water, what went through your mind? Uh, or when I asked you to get it. It's tricky. Yeah. There's a lot of uh, stuff in the way, uh -huh. primarily, and then also not having use of my fingers, so I had to get my hand free of the jacket. Right. And then it's heavy, so I probably could have, if you made me do it with my left arm, I would not have been able to. Awesome. <laughs> Thanks for volunteering. You're a good sport. Um, so in Acts chapter 11, our passage, uh, it's basically a retelling of uh, the events that happen in Acts chapter 10, where Peter has a vision um, the vision of a sheet coming down from heaven held by the four corners. And every kind of beast and animal and fish and bird is in this sheet. And the spirit of the Lord, the voice of the Lord says to Peter in this vision, kill and eat. And Peter, seeing these animals, and according to customary uh, Jewish law of diet, uh, you can't eat certain unclean animals, right? Peter's like, no, I've never had anything unclean in my mouth. I don't want to eat this. And again, the second time, the voice says, well, what God has declared clean, don't declare unclean. If I say it's clean, it's clean. So don't say it's unclean if, God, if I say it's clean. And so this happens three times. Meanwhile, uh, in the house of... Cornelius. Cornelius is a Gentile uh, in a Gentile household, and he receives a vision himself saying, send some messengers to Joppa, where this man Peter is, who's had this vision, and bring him to your house to hear, uh, hear the words from him. And so he sends people. And these people grab Peter, and Peter, <coughs> with six other Jews, say, okay, we'll come with you to this house of Cornelius. And uh, as we know from the story in chapter 10, and then also Peter relays, uh, repeats in chapter 11, uh, he preaches the gospel to this household full of Gentiles. And there's the second Pentecost almost. In Acts chapter two, you hear the Pentecost, right? The Holy Spirit descends upon the followers in a home and the Holy Spirit comes upon them and there's just this uh, miracle of languages, miracles of hearing. Um, and this is often referred to as the second 
Pentecost, the Pentecost uh, of Gentiles. And so the Holy Spirit descends on the people, and Peter's like, whoa, something's going on here, right? Let's baptize. Now that you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit, let's baptize everyone in this household um, with water. So when we hit our story, the people back in Jerusalem, boom, boom, boom. Jerusalem is like the home base. It's the center where it all began, right? Where the Christian, where the Christ Jesus followers began to grow and emerge and the gospel started to spread. And if you remember in Acts, when Jesus ascended into heaven, what were his words to his disciples? He said, wait here, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the parts of the earth. And when we trace, um, when we continue to read in Acts, you, you see that Acts kind of follows Jesus' statement geographically, right? They go from Jerusalem, witnesses, uh, to Judea, to Samaria. Even before this, Peter and John are sent to Samaria, right? They're sent to Samaria because the, Jew, the Jewish people in Jerusalem hear that the Samaritans are receiving the word of God and responding. So they lay hands on Peter and John and send them out to Samaria to preach the gospel. And so Peter and John are on their way back to Jerusalem when all of this happens. They're preaching in all the towns on their way back. And word gets to the home place, Jerusalem. And it says uh, to the, the brothers and sisters who are circumcised in Jerusalem, um, which basically means circumcision was part of the Jewish law, right? What identified you as a God follower, a person of God was when you were whatever age you were, as a male, you were circumcised. Um, and so that was part of the tradition of these God followers, of, of the Jewish people. So it says that the circum, uh, circumcised believers, when he entered into Jerusalem, criticized them and they began to accuse him saying, you went into the home of Cornelius. We heard that you went into an uncircumcised Gentile's home and fellowship with them. You broke bread with them and you shared a meal with them. And the middle of our passage from four on to whatever, Peter just relays the facts. He says, look, step by step, it says Peter explained what happened. This is what happened, right? He explains the facts. Um, but what we also notice in G uh, Peter's explanation is he's explaining his experience, but what he's also pointing out is how God has been at work, how the Spirit is working in all of these events. Because he's being a witness, he's coming back to Jerusalem and being a witness saying, what we experienced was God's doing something new. I'm with you guys, right? It was kind of weird for me. And then what happened? I had this vision, and God said to me, kill and eat. And these six brothers were with me when that happened. They were with me when we went to Cornelius' house, and we saw a spirit descend on people, right? And people receiving the gospel, and they were baptized by the Holy Spirit, right? Clearly, God is at work. And so his emphasis is on what God is doing, not what Peter did or how well he preached or I'm the disciple. Um, even Peter says to Cornelius, I'm but a man, right? Don't bow to me. I'm but a person. 
But what we see in Acts overall with the inception and the birth of the church and the kind of expanding ministry to the ends of the earth is that the Holy Spirit is pushing on the edges of the community, the edges of this of the community of believers and pushing it outward. And in that on the edge is where assumptions and cultural traditions and um, just kind of uh, that kind of baggage is pushed and challenged. And this is a, a message to us today as the body of Christ, that if you are wondering where the Holy Spirit is, where is God at work, oftentimes the Holy Spirit is really at work on the edges of the community. Does that make sense? The Holy Spirit and God is at work at the boundaries of the community. Because what the Holy Spirit is about is still about this message, this mission that Jesus says to his apostle on his ascension. You shall receive power through the Holy Spirit, and you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth, to Seattle, to Portland, right? Um, the Spirit is still moving to, to proclaim the gospel, to move, to bring new life, right? And if we were, we found God's love in the field, right? If you can imagine we were in the middle of the field, and there, this is a spring of water in the middle of the field, right? God loves his people. God wants to give new life and renewal to his people. God wants... Uh, people to drink freely from the well. And uh, basically, in John three sixteen, when it says, God's for, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. God is a God who wants people, to, his children, to have access to him. God is a God who loves his children. Amen? God loves each and every one of us. And God loves each and every one of the people that we know outside of these walls. And God loves each and every person outside of this country and other nations around the globe. They're all his children. And because he loved the world as his children, he wanted to draw near to us. Because he's like, wait a second. I chose my people so that they could be a blessing to all nations, beginning with the covenant with to Abraham. But somehow... There's these blocks, right? These obstacles. Somehow people are having a, certain people are having a hard time drinking from my love, drinking from my pool in the garden, in the field. And these obstacles oftentimes are bounded, are burdened, right? Are encumbered with cultural tradition, with certain laws of righteousness, Right? Certain definitions of what it means to be holy, what it means to be God's people. And for some, that makes us, that makes them in. For others, it's like, I can't be there. I can't go into the temple or I can't be in that community unless I change my identity somehow. Unless I assimilate in some way to what, whatever it is that the inside community is saying I need to be in order to be righteous. Are you guys with me? And so when Sarah's standing up here, essentially what's happening is 
She's got a hundred items on her arms and her head and a pair of keys in her fingertips. And then we say, go, go into that field and jump and laugh and play and drink that water. And she's like, well, <laughs> it's so hard. And as a church, as the body of Christ, what are the ways that we encumber people unnecessarily from coming and drinking freely from the water that is, do they have access to? Because God is a God who wants to connect with his people. God is a God who wants to feed his children. God is a God who wants to give amazing gifts to his children. But the other children are saying, no, mine. Right? Uh, I've taught Cammy. See, this is a bad father move. It's an epic fail. I've caught. I've taught Cammy the concept of mine, just because I like to tease and stuff. So she has her her blankies, and I grab her blankie away from her, and I say mine. Right? So she's and Janice is like, "What are you doing? Right? That doesn't make sense at all." And I'm like, "I don't know. You know, she'll grow up with that." healthy sense of ownership and she'll know how to defend, you know, the things that are hers, right? She's a girl. People are going to try to take things from her all the time. She needs to know mine. And Janice is like, oh, brother, right? But we, as people, even as adults, all the time say, mine, mine. This is my place. This is my space. This is my community. This is my church, Right? And whether unintentionally, intentionally or not, that kind of attitude or that kind of, when it becomes systemic in a community, it makes it hard for outsiders to really want to come in or to be able to come in freely, unencumbered, to drink. Are you with me? And this is what is going on in Acts. Because God's heart is to go to the ends of the earth. But in order for that to happen, certain boundaries Certain obstacles need to fall. But you say, wait a second. Didn't earlier in Acts, didn't these same people in Jerusalem hear about the Samaritans, Gentiles, in Samaria, hearing of the gospel, and they laid hands on Peter and John to go out and preach to the Gentiles? Weren't they excited about that? So why are they so upset right now? Why are they upset? Acts 8, for example, it says, Now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard uh, that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Spirit. So they're sending Peter and John to Samaria. So why are they mad? There are a couple of reasons. Um, the first reason is in Paul's relaying, of, or Peter's relaying of the events, what they see and hear is, Gentiles being saved as Gentiles, right? There's no, so when Peter, when the household of Cornelius says the Holy Spirit comes on them, he says, hey, why don't we baptize all of you and you guys can come to the faith? He doesn't say, hey, all of you line up, we're going to circumcise all of you. (laughs) He doesn't say that, right? He says, let's be baptized. So what's going on in, um, from the Jewish perspective in Jerusalem is, wait a second. Wait a second. They're not circumcised? Right? Because um, from the very beginning, there are people called God-fearers, right? Or Judaizers. Uh, God-fearers. 
And they were people who weren't Jews that were able to become followers of God. But first, they had to kind of adopt being Jewish by being circumcised and then kind of agree to following all of the Jewish laws, the dietary laws. And so in order to become into the community, to be adopted into the community, you had to become, in a sense, culturally Jewish. You had to kind of be, and circumcision was the main thing, main thing of that. But what they see in Peter's experience of these Gentile conversion is not a, not a conversion into Judaism and then into being a Jesus follower, but the Holy Spirit just came on them and they were baptized. So Gentiles were becoming, were being saved as Gentiles. So that's why they're angry, number one. And then number two, on top of that, Peter, as a Jew, ate and fellowshiped with them in the house of Cornelius afterwards. Right? So not only did they convert as Gentiles, right? They're still unclean people, and you're saying they're, they're Christians uh, while remaining unclean. You, as a circumcised Christian, are eating with them, right? And eating unclean food. Uh, to expect people to be changed and conformed to you in order to believe and be in the fold is a form of imperialism. Or you can say cultural captivity. Right? And God is not about cultural captivity or imperialism when it comes to the gospel. The gospel is first. The gospel is free. The gospel is an open pool in an open field with no gates and fences. And he's saying, everyone, come and drink. This is good. And Peter is saying, yeah, I'm with you guys, but look, I had this dream. What's up with that? And, and we saw the Holy Spirit descend on these people. And they received. Uh, and in a sense, this is kind of the first act of community discernment, right, when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Because right after, in verse 18, if you can turn to the end of the passage, once the apostles and the other believers heard what Peter and the other witnesses were saying, they calmed down. They praised God and concluded, so then God has enabled Gentiles to change their hearts and lives so that they might have new life. So now we see a shift in the community, right? God moving is not defined by external things like circumcision or whether you're following these regulations or not. They, they begin to make the connection that the movement of God is defined by people changing, right? Oh my gosh, the Holy Spirit moving. Oh my gosh, right? Their lives and their hearts are changing. Oh my gosh. Right? And God wants that they can have new life too. They have the Holy Spirit. The Holy, they were baptized by the Holy Spirit just like in Jerusalem during Pentecost. That happened to them, to the Gentiles. So God must be in it. And so the Spirit and the movement of God is busting out. Right? Of Jerusalem. And it's at the edges of the community. And it's 
re, re kind of, it's deconstructing what people think of when it comes to the faith, right? And we have to understand, we have to understand that um, Christianity or the followers of Jesus initially was not like a rebel or a new religion that started. It was something that came out of Judaism. Does that make sense? Even G- Jesus said to the Samaritan or the woman, uh, salvation is from the Jews first, right? And in, in the beginning of Acts, Peter and all the other disciples, where did they teach? Where did they interact with people? They were going to the synagogues, right? They were going to the synagogues and the temples, the Jewish synagogues and temples, and they were preaching and they were debating and they were telling about um, Jesus Christ. So there's a, a strong Jewish element, right? Um, it's tied to that faith, to that faith tradition. But as the spirit and the mission of God is moving outside of Jerusalem and outside of the community, right, it's redefining things, right? It's redefining uh, the edges. And... Um, So these people were being saved as Gentiles, um, and on top of that, they were fellowshipping alongside of Peter. And when we look at Peter's defense in chapter 11, it's based on his experience. Um, And then Peter's defense was also based on uh, what God had done and the way God perceived Gentiles. The way that God perceives the Gentiles was that God does not show partiality. That God's special the gift of the Holy Spirit, right, and the Advocate, was also granted to the Gentiles without encumbrances, without all this weight on them, without them having to look like a certain people, look a certain way, in order to receive that. The gift was free; they had access. Are you with me, Church? So in the Acts, salvation of the Gentiles is of primary importance. That's the number one thing. Uh, Eating together and fellowshipping together uh, is a subordinate thing. It's a subordinate matter to the gospel. And one's practice of how you eat and how you fellowship, how you you do things... um, when it comes to food, um, was subordinate to the gospel going out, right? the gospel transforming of people. And so the message is simple for us today. right? Do not burden people with stuff that is secondary to them receiving the gospel. The good news that they are children of God and loved by him is true, right? Irregardless of what we bring to people. And don't think you are okay only fellowshipping with your kind and not eating with those who are outside of your tradition and particular shade of Christianity or class or ethnicity or where you call your hood, right? And uh, like I said before, it was very strong to expect people to be changed and conformed to 
your way of doing things, your culture, your traditions, in order to believe is a form of imperialism or cultural captivity, right? The, the community of Jerusalem is shaped by these Gentiles, is changed by these Gentiles. Oftentimes, we approach things like, let's bring the gospel to the world, right, and change them. Yes, God will change people, right, and transform people in his time. But what's going on in Acts is, here's this wagon, it's going 50 miles per hour, and it's saying, good news, good news, good news, good news, good news. And God is saying, jump on, jump on, jump on, jump on, right? And there's no time for people to be like, do you have a red ticket? Let me see your ticket, right? It's just like, get on, we're moving. We're moving, get on, we're moving, we're moving, we're moving, we're moving, we're moving, right? Get people in the wagon, right? And then we love, and we figure it out, right? Get people in the wagon, and then we figure it out. And we, this is, and in that dialogue, we are all mutually changed and shaped. Does that make sense? It's not just one set of people giving something to someone and changing them for the better, but it's two people coming, right? What's happening in Acts is two people coming together, both equally as children of God, both baptized by the Holy Spirit. But in this interchange, people are like, what? It doesn't matter if we do this? That didn't matter? Right? Oh my gosh. God works through that person? Right? And we're all like this. Right? We see God working somewhere else and we're like, what? How did that happen? Um, mm-hmm. I, yesterday, I met with one of the people from Inheritance Magazine, which is uh, a magazine out of L.A. Uh, that is trying to intersect culture and the gospel. And it has an Asian-American kind of, pr- they're trying to have an Asian-American prophetic voice uh, in the gospel and in culture. And we had a fascinating discussion, but he told me a story about uh, a church, I think it was a histor- historically Japanese church, older Japanese, and there was two kids, maybe it wasn't the Japanese church, but anyways, there were two twins, and one was like very involved in the church, was a leader, they're t- teen kids. This, this kid was so gifted as a teenager, he was preaching and teaching, and the other was in a game, but they looked alike. But the the church, the churchy one, uh, was shot in a gang, was mistaken identity, was shot. And uh, during the funeral, kind of both sides of the gangs came and uh, kind of celebrated and mourned uh, this person's life. And there was kind of a call for reconciliation. And they started to come to this church, right? And they start, like, second Sunday, still, these two gangs are coming to church in this traditional, you know, church. And third week, they're coming, they're coming. But after a while, as time progressed, uh, the original people in the church began to be more and more uncomfortable, right? It's like, why, did, why are they so loud, right? Or why do they worship with such, you know, they've got bandanas on and they're like, jumping up and down, just exuberance. They're just out there. They're not proper, 
right? And they're dressed like all that stuff started to come out. And eventually, I think what ended up happening was, you know, they pushed these people out. And, um, and it went back to normal. And I think those kind of stories are more common than we think. And that it happens in smaller levels in every community, whether it's Christian or not, right? We have our definitions of what it means, what is a standard person that should be in. Um, but God shows no partiality, right? That's part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus and to be a community that's radically different than the world, that we have God's heart. God does not show partiality. Everybody is his children. And um, it's our call to, as much as possible, be a place that is unencumbered, a community in our Sundays, in our outreaches, in everything we do um, outside of these walls, that we are uh, not making it more of a burden for people to come and receive the gospel, but we are tearing those burdens down, tearing those obstacles down, and inviting radically, right? And exhibiting hospitality, radical hospitality to people. Inviting, 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 inviting. And my prayer for us is that we recapture that, right? I think we've lost a little bit of our invitational swagger. You know, we've gotten a little bit comfortable. Is that okay for me to say? We've gotten a little bit comfortable, right, in our little thing here. And we need to begin to invite and welcome and consider other people. Consider, whoa, man, what's it going to, you know, how is what I'm doing, you know, actually not welcoming to people? Are you with me, church? Amen. Amen. Uh, let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your gospel and that your gospel is good news for all people and that you had the heart to see that, that you decided to intervene uh, with your son, his incarnation, and that the work on the cross and the resurrection was all um, to bring power and a new voice and a new way uh, to how we are to be family, to how uh, your people um, are to live life and how um, pe all people are to have access. And God, if there are people in this room who are uh, on the opposite side, maybe um, they've been pushed out or turned off uh, from your word, from your gospel because of your community, because of Christians or because of the church, I pray that you do a work of healing, that uh, you would call out to those individuals and, and reassure them that you want to be in their life and that they can take a step closer to you today. Thank you for living water. Thank you for um, that you provide a way for people to come and drink. We are thirsty and we want to drink. Amen.